are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone, and hello, everyone up at the mills. I hope you're having a great day today. Uh, That bumper video speaks to an organization that we at Riverside have been partnering with now for a good 10 years or so. We were one of the first churches in the nation to do a One Day to Feed the World offering, and now it has caught on, and churches all around the country are doing that. Convoy of Hope is a great ministry, a compassion ministry that, uh, that, as the video says, feeds hundreds of thousands of children. These are people that experience uh, hurricane-type conditions every day. They live in survival mode. That is not to say that we are not also... Um, behind what Convoy of Hope is doing even now as we speak up along the coast of New Jersey and in the New York area as they are there as first responders in that situation too. So what we do in one day, we'll go to help support all the ministries and outreaches of Convoy of Hope. Uh, Take note of the information that's in here. I hope now that you will prepare to take one day's salary and give it away for those that that wish they could gain in a year what many of us can gain in a day in some of these very, very sad parts of the world. So thank you for your faithfulness in doing that. I look forward to celebrating it. So people around the world live in this survival mode. You know, we're talking this month, we're starting a new sermon series, and we're calling it All In. All In, and the key verse is found in Mark chapter 12. Please turn with me there in your Bibles, if you would. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 And it's a familiar verse to us. In fact, this is a verse that is quoted in Mark from the Torah. It is the foundational book. It is the Shema. It is that love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. Love God with all your mind. Love God with all your strength. And we're asking the question, what does it mean to be all in with God? What does it mean to love God with with all you have from the bottom of your heart, loving God with your heart and soul, loving God with your mind, loving God with your strength. So that's, those are some of the things we're going to be talking about this month. And, um, and, and you know, when I, when I love God from the bottom of my heart, it speaks to the value of devotion. That, that where is my heart? Where your heart is, there your treasure is. What am I devoted to? When I speak about loving God with my mind, do I need to check my brain at the door when I come to church, as some people claim you have to do? If you're really sincerely Christian or believer in God, do you have to? I don't believe so. Can we love God with our mind? Can we love God with our strength? What does it mean to, to use our talents, our time, our treasure, our abilities for God? So those are the kinds of things we're going to be talking about over this month. Mark chapter 12, it begins in verse 28. And it says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. And he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and the only one, the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is equally important, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So what does it mean to go all in with God? It sounds scary when you really think about it, doesn't it? Really, to go all in with God, what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, I like to go a little bit in with God. 
I'd like to, you know, just tip my toe in the shallow end with God. I don't really want to go all in with God because that's scary. That, what if I go all in and God's not there and it's just a farce? I might lose everything that I have. You see, I think a lot of people treat God as if God is this cosmic poker game. Now, I'm not promoting poker. Never played with real money whenever I've played it. But the idea of poker is, you know, you're like, you're trying to see who can get the most and take from each other by whatever. It's gambling. But people gamble with God. You know, it's like, we'll put just a little bit in, you know. We'll, we'll start off with just a little bit and test to see if God's going to put a little more in. And if God puts a little more in the pot, then there's more that I might be able to get. So I might, I might call and raise God a little bit on that. I might put a little bit more in. And then the pot gets a little bigger, and God might put a little bit more in. And, it, you know, it's like I'm going a little deeper with God, and it's looking pretty good. And at some point, something happens, and it's like, oh, you know, we want to get it all. And we call God on it, and we see if we can get it. But, 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 but God... Here's the thing about playing poker with God. God is already all in for you. God's already given everything. He loved you so much that he gave himself. He gave his only begotten son for you. And here's the other part about where this metaphor breaks down with God. When you really understand it, the chips you're playing with, because we have this idea that these chips are mine, and maybe I can get from God something else that'll help my chips grow. We have this, I want my stack to get bigger, so I'm going to go to God hoping that God will put more in and I can get more from God and my stacks. And we think of mine and God's. But when you really understand it, we're only playing with house chips. They're not ours. They're all God's. My life, my time, my talent, my treasure, my things, it is all from God to begin with. And you know what? When you realize that it's all God's, it's easier to go all in, is it not? Because it's mine and God's. It's like, oh, how can we trust God to come through for us? So what does it mean to love God with all your heart and soul? We're going to talk about that for just a few moments. And I want to respond to that by referring to a classic teaching on this subject by a guy by the name of Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard of Clairvaux, otherwise known as Saint Bernard, remember that, was a French Benedictine monk in the 12th century. And uh, his writings were very influential on Calvin and Luther. And he wrote a treatise called On the Love of God. And he asked the question, why should God be loved? You ever thought about that? Why should God be loved? Because that's really a good question when you think about it. Does God need to be loved? Is God lonely? Did he create us because he was just lonely, needed somebody to toy with, to play with? Is God lacking something? Is God's ego weak and he needs us to love him because he has a weak ego that needs to be stroked? Does God need our love in some way that he needs to be adored? I, I, I don't believe that that's the God that's revealed to us in Scripture. The reason for loving God, according to St. Bernard, is simply this. We love God because God is God, period. 
And some might ask it, well, does God deserve our love or do we love God because of something we can get from God? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. God deserves it and in loving God we receive things from God. But the fact of the matter is God deserves our love. God is entitled to our love because God gave himself for us in spite of ourselves. Because we are so undeserving. And that's why God is entitled to our love. The reason we should answer God deserves love is simply because God first loved you. Why should I love God? Because God loved me first. Period. Not because of what I can get from God. Not because I have to. Not because God is weak. God loved me unconditionally, purely. When we consider who God is and his love for us and who we are and how much he loved us, God deserves our love. He is no, he's not in need of our worldly possessions. God could survive very well, thank you very much, without that offering that you just gave. Now, I know that's scary for a pastor to say. God doesn't need that. But for the church to be able to be what God wants us to be, we all need to pull our resources and go all in with God so that we can be what God wants us to be for others, but God isn't the one who needs that. You're not buying God off by doing that. We are investing together in the plan and the will of God for God's people. He's not in need of that. He's not in need of our love because God's, you know, lacking something. True love is precisely this. It is that which does not seek its own. Love is a love that is given, that doesn't have any strings attached. And that's how much God loved us, because I've said it already, he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, so that we may benefit from that love. So Bernard goes on to talk about four degrees of love. And as I talk about these, I want you to be real honest with yourself here. Now, I know self-awareness is hard for us at times, and some more than others. But can we be real together in this place and ask, okay, as I look at this, out of which of these degrees of love am I generally operating? And you'll get it as we go along here. The first degree of love, he says, is love of self for self's sake. I love myself because I need to take care of myself. We're all born with that. We all have survival instincts. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The assumption is we all automatically, because we were created by God who loves, and God, love comes from God, God gives us this sense of we need to take care of ourselves in order to be able to survive, to be able to, to reproduce, to be able to fill the earth, to be able to provide, and yada, yada, yada. But the first level of love is this love for ourselves, for ourselves' sake. Human nature is weak, and therefore we need to take care of ourselves first. In this human realm, he said, people love themselves for their own sake. Now, that's not an unhealthy thing unless that's the only degree of love that you operate out of. Because if you are there, then what happens is your love of self becomes an obsession. You live in order just to make sure that you are more secure, to make sure that you have more stuff, to make sure that you feel even better, to make sure that others exist for your needs to be met. And you live in such a way that you can operate around you, that everybody is there for your sake. 
And if your love of self goes beyond its natural boundaries, it becomes an addiction. And we all have been aware, if not from our own selves, of others who find that this desire to please oneself's flesh, and that's the fleshly part of love, is out of control and it becomes obsessive and compulsive for our whole lives. It controls us. We become in bondage to that. So that is held in check because of how we love others. We read a couple weeks ago from Philippians 3. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a, ser- a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so this first degree of love, natural though it may be, if it is not realized that it is just the base level of love can become the only way in which a person operates. And it's held in check by realizing that there are others beyond us. And our love for others is what holds that self-love. If we can't love our neighbor because of our love for self, then we need to restrain our own lusts, restrain our own wants, our own desires, maybe even some of our own needs in order to care for others. And uh, that will help keep that self-love, that narcissistic love, in check. So we need to take from ourselves and give to others. So, so what do you do? And by the way, have you ever known anybody that they only exist for themselves? Has anybody known anybody? They're just purely narcissistic. And whether they're the boss at work or the coworker or the friend or the family, anybody know anybody sitting next to you that's like that? Just give them a little nudge if you believe that. Don't raise your hand, please. I don't want to know that right now. You can email me, though, and let me know. But if you, if you know people like that, you see that they live out of that, and children obviously are there. And that's why they need to be taught. That's why they need to be nurtured, to see beyond themselves. Some people never get there. They grew into adulthood, and they, they, they're brilliant people, perhaps, but they live in such a way that their needs are most important and everybody exists for them. But what if your needs aren't met? What if you, okay, you, you, you've had that first degree of love, you love self, it's a healthy thing, a natural thing, but your needs aren't going to be met. You, you find that you fall short or maybe you give in to that lust and it becomes an obsession for you and you reach a point where you're, you hit bottom and addiction takes over and you realize that you need somebody else bigger than you to help you. And the Bible says that God promises that if we begin to seek God first in his kingdom, then he meets our needs. Then God does come. We put something in, God does put something in. God meets those needs for us. And God promises that if we restrict our needs and give to our neighbor, then God's going to supply our needs. If you reach out to others and care for others, then God's going to satisfy and fulfill your needs too. How many of you realize that selfish people never have enough? Selfless people always seem to have more to give. And it's not their income level. It is the attitude of their heart that is the difference. So if your needs aren't met, in order to love our neighbor, then we must see that God begins to supply our need for love and be the source of our love. And we let God fill our needs in that way. So we go from loving of self for self's sake to loving God for self's sake. You understand? Now I'm going to love God because I need God. 
We love God out of our own sense of deficiency, out of our own sense of lack. And um, God, who makes everything that is good, creates that and makes himself to be loved for our sake. And, and that's how he does it. You know, he blesses us with, with protection. I call this kind of love sort of that foxhole conversion love, that jailhouse conversion kind of love. You know, it's like, God, if you get me out of this mess, I'm going to love you. God, if you, if you help me fix this, then I'm going to start going to church. God, if, you know, if I can get away with this this time, I'm never going to do that again. You know, those, those bargains we make with God. And it's God, if you'll rescue me, God, if you help me. And, you know, we might think, well, I've never been in that place. But if you came to God because you wanted God to rescue you from hell, which is a legitimate reason to come to God, that too is a foxhole religion. It is, God, I want you to save me from eternal damnation. So it's reaching out, God, I love you, God, for myself because I know I need God in my life. That's the second degree of love. And it's how we, who not only love ourselves, first begin to love God because we see that God meets those needs for security, for deliverance, for um, you know, emotional, physical, whatever kinds of needs that we may have. And we learn over time that we love God and we can turn to God, and that love that begins as maybe that help me God, I'm in a bad spot kind of love, or help me God, I'm afraid of eternal damnation kind of love, turns to God, I love you now because I see that you're there for me. I see that you're there with me. We begin to converse with God, and we grow in our understanding, and our devotion grows, and we begin to talk, we begin to pray, we begin to think about God more often. But our religion is still mostly about if I can do this for God, then I know God's going to do this for me. A lot of Christians stop right here. All of their religion is about what can I give to God so God can give more back to me. Tell me you've not heard that theology preached all the time. And we stick in that second degree of love. It's I love God for what God will do for me. But Bernard goes on to talk about a third degree of love, and that is loving God simply for God's sake. Now that, when he says for God's sake, he's not talking about because God is lacking and God needs it. We love God simply because who God is, period. You see, after God rescues us and after, you know, we get saved from ourselves or saved from a bad situation, we begin to walk with God, we, we discover that God walks with us and talks with us and, you know, meets us in the garden, as the old hymn says. And and he leads us to greener pastures and still waters and he restores our souls and we build this, this genuine, loving, trusting relationship with God. And what that is, is it's we're tapping into the sweetness of God's grace and it tastes good. And it's like God then becomes good. We love God because God is good. God is great. God is good. And we live a life of gratitude for the one who made it all. And then we begin to see the way God feels not only toward us, but toward others. We begin to catch the heartbeat of God, that heartbeat for others who are also maybe in distress, who are still in that first degree of love or that second degree of love, and they don't know the love, and we feel like 
man, God wants them to understand his love too. And we feel God's heart for them or for the hurting or for the destitute or for the... And we, we begin in that third degree of love to love God simply because God is so good. We want to... We love the things of God and we love the heart that God has for others. And we love the heart that God has for us. So basically, in that third degree of love, your love for God becomes more from the heart than more out of a sense of, oh, God, save me. God, be there for me. It's God, I love you for who you are. Why do we worship the way we do? Why do we stand and sing songs of praise and thanksgiving? It's really an opportunity for us corporately to express our hearts to God. Now, there's, there, there, there are songs that are much more about the doctrine of God's salvation, the, you know, who God is and what God has done and how great God is and all of that, and that's great. But there's, there's also those kinds of songs that are more, less third-person types of songs to first-person types of songs. You know, and I, I've heard it say, well, we, you go to the church, they just sing love songs to Jesus, you know. It's like prom songs to Jesus, and that's all, you know, and it's so self-centered. And it can become that if we're not careful, but I think that it's a part of, well, no, it's not about being self-centered. I just want to express my heart for the one whose heart has been poured out for me. I want to have a personal, devotional walk with the one who knows me best and loves me most. And when we taste the sweetness of the pure love of God and the grace of God, it draws us to the things of God. We begin to love the things of God more than the things of the flesh. So in that third degree of love, it's like I now will have more fun doing the things of God than the fun I used to have when I was just loving myself for myself's sake. And, you be, and it's not, I don't go to church now because it's my duty and I have to do it in order to feel forgiven or if I have to do it in order to get something from God. It's I want to come together and worship God. I want to love God. I want to be a part of a community of people who are not just thinking about themselves, who are thinking about others and wanting to engage their corporate energy and presence in a way that's going to be better than I could ever do it on my own. And I love the things of God. That's when, that's that third degree of love where you begin to love the things of God more than loving just yourself. And that is where we need to aspire to be all the time or most of the time. But Bernard goes on to talk about a fourth degree of love, and he, he says that this is the love of self for God's sake. Now, it's different than the love of self for self's sake, and it's different than the love of God for self's sake. This is loving oneself in a way that we get lost in the love of God. And that's hard for me to kind of explain. And he tries to explain it. And I'm thinking, what does he mean by that? What I, what I believe it means is it is being to the point where it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's not me. It's God in me that is the hope of glory. It's not boasting in my things that I'm doing for God. 
It's boasting in God in such a way that I am willing to say, God, my life isn't as important as I once thought it was. Pour me out, God, for your sake. It is being so filled with the Spirit of God that you have the mind of God and you're willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice and say, God, pour me out whatever it takes. I am all in with you because all I am and all I have and all I want to be is yours and it's not about me and I want God's love to be so full of me that it just becomes like we're one together. It's not being so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. I think it's about being so mindful of the love of God that you're only thinking about loving God by loving others. Mother Teresa said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. That, Bernard says doesn't happen very often. It only happens in spurts. He's a realist. Because he says we live in a world where our needs are always going to be, we're always going to be reminded of our own self-survival, our own things. But he says, boy, if we can get to that place, even sporadically, even on a short-term basis, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So what is the next step that you need to take to grow deeper in your love for God? It's time for me to hold the mirror up. And it's a two-way mirror. I'm looking at myself as I'm holding it up to you. Am I operating generally out of that first degree of love? Honestly. Honestly. Am I just doing this so that I can get a salary, so that I can get an income, can I, am I doing this so that I could be adored, approved of? Is this all about me? Am I, am I doing this for my sake? Or am I just loving God and figuring out a way that, that I can express that love for others? Can I, can I beat back my own lustful instincts because I think more about what God wants for others or am I just all about my own selfish, lustful needs? Where are you? Where do you need to make a change? Maybe this idea, the word repentance in the Bible talks about turning. Maybe for you, it's turning from bondage to your sin. Maybe you are in that state right now where you have just... You, you said yes to your flesh. You've said yes to your desires, and that's all you think about. Even while you're sitting here, you're thinking about the next high you can get, the next joy you can have. Can't wait to get out of here because food's waiting for you, and that's all you can think about. Sorry, now that's all you're thinking about. But <laughs> shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> but are you here? Are you here only because of those fleshly desires? We're not here, but is that where you're operating out of? We need to turn from that, turn toward God. Do you need to turn toward God's grace? Maybe you're just, you, you're in that place. You need God to rescue you. God, I need to be saved from myself because I can't handle this addiction. This thing is bigger than me. 
and I need to be saved from myself, or I just know that if I keep going down this path, it's going to be a dead end, and if I don't get you in my life, I need you. So you love God for your sake. That's nothing wrong with that. You need to go there. But you've gone there, and all you're thinking about is, well, I'm doing the religious thing, and it's not working out for me. I'm not Mr. Millionaire now, you know. Well, you got into it for the wrong reason. Let's think about more than yourself. Now can you just love God because God is so full of love, the source of love. Can you become a true follower of God by following Jesus and loving the things that Jesus loves? That's the key. That's the key. And can we get to that point where, God, I want to be so full of your Holy Spirit that I don't even think about me anymore. I think about what you want. Oh, God, that I could go all in like that. It's scary. But I trust you, God. I think we can do that. Can I love you like that, God? All of us, I think, have room to grow deeper in love with God. What do you need to do to go more in with God? I'm going to let the servers go out. We talked earlier about how the fact that God is all in for you. That's what, that's what we celebrate when we gather around the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the fact that Jesus went all in for you. When he was there in that garden that night after his last meal, he struggled with it. He knew the suffering that it would take. And he got to the point where he said, God, not my will, but your will be done. That's what it means to be in that fourth degree of love. It's no longer me. I want your will to be done. And Jesus did that for you. And that's why we gather around the Lord's Supper together. So as we prepare for this communion, I want to read one scripture for you. 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Would you bow your heads with me, please? What does it mean to be all in with God? It means to love God more, more purely, more selflessly. Love the one who loves you unconditionally, with no strings attached. So full of that love that it changes you from the inside out, from a selfish person to a selfless person. That's what it means to love God, to fall in love with him who knows you best and loves you most. God, help us to take those steps forward today, I pray, to love you more. Whatever we need to do right now, God, I just pray. You know each of us and where we are on that continuum. Help us to move higher in our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Thank you.